This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Letter number 27 is a classic followed by letter number 28. These are letters. Letter number 27 is a letter of comfort, to comfort the Hasidim and the Alter Rebbe himself for the passing of Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Vitebsk. This was in 1778. You know, this was the third, Alter Rebbe's third Rebbe. He just lost his third Rebbe. Alter Rebbe's Rebbe, primary Rebbe was Rabbi Dov Ber, the Magadim is rich. I think he met him a year after he became Rebbe, and he was with him for the next till his passing. And when he passed away, when his Rebbe passed away, the Alter Rebbe was 20, 27 at the time. So he and his colleagues immediately devoted themselves and crowned the Magid, Rabbi Dovber, the Magid Mazirish, his son, Rabbi Abram the Angel, who was his learning partner before, and they where they wrote that they're devoting themselves and he is their Rebbe. And, so, and then Avram passed away a short time afterwards. And then the Alter Rebbe considered Rabbi Mendel Vitebsk, Mendel Haradakar, Mendel Vitebsk, as his Rebbe. He was like a colleague, friend, Rebbe. He was older. And Alter Rebbe, he was one of the senior students. He even met the Valshemtev. And uh, he was from Russia, and they had the same line or way of thinking. And, and he considered himself like, himself, him like a Rebbe. So much so that Rabbi Mendel of Itebsk moved to the Holy Land. He settled in Israel in 1777. He passed away in 1788, yes. So the Alter Rebbe packed his bags, said goodbye to his followers, and he's going with his Rebbe. His Rebbe is leaving, he's going with him. And at the border, he, he went as far as the Russian-Turkish border. And at the border, Rabbi, his Rebbe, Rabbi Mendel, convinced, Rabbi Mendel, Nachim Mendel Vitebs, convinced him to go, Rabbi Mendelevitebs convinced him to go back. He says the Russian Jews need him and uh, they won't be able to survive without him. And um, Alter Rebbe, even though he was very young, but they convinced him that he must go back because that would be the, the, the end of the Hasidic movement. There's no one to, there's no leadership and no one to fight against the opposition. It was fierce opposition, especially from the scholarly quarters in Lithuania and, you know, the Mitnagdim, the opposition, and they needed someone like the Alter Rebbe, his caliber, to stand up and to stand strong and to, to navigate these very treacherous waters, very treacherous times. So they convinced the Alter Rebbe to go back. But Alta Rebbe was going with his Rebbe. His Rebbe is moving to Israel. He's going with it. <laughs> he says, I need a Rebbe. Yeah. Chassid needs a Rebbe. No matter how great the Chassid is, he 
needs a Rebbe. So this is for the Alter Rebbe, the passing of Mendel Avitev continued to be his Rebbe, but through writing. Because he no longer saw him. They moved to Israel in 1777. And for the next 11 years, they corresponded. But Alter Rebbe looked at him as his Rebbe. It's more than just a mentor. It's more than just a teacher. A Rebbe, it's a relationship. Like a father, a spiritual father. It's a relationship, personal. So for the Alter Rebbe, this was his third Rebbe that passed away. You know, a Rebbe passing away is like, God forbid, a father passing away. It's so traumatic. This is not once, not twice. This is the third time. It's, it's almost unbearable. To go through it, you know, a person has one father. But here, spiritually, he had three. And every time he, had to, he went through this again. So this is one of the most difficult, difficult things to deal with. So much so that this letter is the only letter of the 32 letters that we have that Alter Rebbe, after writing the letter, wrote an explanation on the letter. It wasn't enough. Because it's, it's not just an intellectual question, it's a, it's a personal, it's an emotional question. It's traumatic. You know, all the explanations in the world don't uh, fill the hole in the heart. And the loss, the loss is so monumental, it's so huge that, you know, explanations don't, can't fill that void. So he wrote a letter, and then he wrote for himself an explanation. And, all. and even with the letter and the explanation, <laughs> it's still very, very difficult to deal with death, to deal with, here in this case, the death of a tzaddik, the death of a leader of the generation, the death of the Rebbe. like a father, it's like a spiritual father. It's very, very, very difficult because the loss, the void, you know, whenever a father passes away, it's like a, a parent. It's like a, that's why you have to mourn for 12 months because it's like a crack in the foundation. Parents are irreplaceable. Everything else in life but parents, it's like a crack in your foundation. You know, you can't come to yourself. You can't be yourself. Everything else, 30 days. That's it. Spouse, 30 days. A child, 30 days. Parent, a year, 12 months. Because it's, 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 it's so difficult and impossible. So imagine a spiritual parent. A Rebbe, it's a relationship, it's a, it's a soul connection, it's, a, it's not just a teacher. Okay, wise teachers, I have his books, <laughs> I remember his lectures, today you have videotapes. <laughs> but it's a personal, the personal connection, it's, it's irreplaceable. So... How do you deal with this loss? That's what Alter Rebbe is going to address. How do you realize that there is no void? That connection, that relationship continues. Your Rebbe is alive. And here it's also a practical call for action because when the Rebbe passed away, the Mendel, and he left his son, and he left the... His, uh, his, his grandchildren, and they really had no support. So some Hasidim were like slacking off. Okay, it's all over, finished. Let's shut down that department. You know, the Hasidim used to send money to support the Rebbe and his family, because in Israel then, he couldn't make a living in Israel, so they would literally support them. Each Hasid would give 
even though they themselves were poor, they would set aside some money, and together they were able to support the Rebbe and his family. And this was part of the relationship. It's a connection. It's a personal connection. And here, when the Rebbe passed away, okay, it's all over. Let's shut down this... Uh, and, and, and his family would not be able to survive. So the Alter Rebbe, at the end of this letter, is a very practical part. This part is not published in the Tanya, but we have the whole letter. There is a call for action. God forbid there shouldn't be any change, any difference. Just like he supported the Rebbe when he was alive. You have to continue that support and support his family and support because there is no void. It looks like there is a void and you feel that there is a void. But the truth is, there is no void. And then he's going to add in the explanation, not only is there no void, the Rebbe's presence is even greater now than he was before. You can have a stronger relationship now than you had before. It's not the way it appears to be. It's definitely not apparent. But that's why we look at the, the, the Torah. When you look, you see reality with the eyes of the Torah. Therefore, you see, you see, you see, you see something, something else entirely. You see a whole, whole different reality. Dr. Rebbe wrote this letter of condolence to his Hasidim in 1788 after the passing of his colleague and mentor, the saintly Rav Mendel of Vitebsk, who had settled in the Holy Land in 1777. It concludes by rousing them to the mitzvah tzedakah in general, and particularly of maintaining the family of Rev Men. Yalta Rebbe is here addressing Hasidim, who in the past had benefited from their connection with the tzaddik, both through his advice and blessings on material matters, and through his guidance in matters of the spirit. He comforts them, therefore, with the teaching of the Zohar, that a tzaddik is to be found in this world after his passing to a greater extent than while he was physically alive. His disciples are thus able to receive his guidance in their Torah study and divine service to an even greater degree than before. Materially, too, the tzaddik protects this world after his passing even more effectively than he did during his lifetime. So this is definitely counterintuitive. It's not the way it appears to be. You know, death appears to be final and it's over and it severs and it's lost, it's gone. Now it's history. It's not something... It's, it's, it's alive. But to say that the tzaddik is alive and the relationship is alive and the connection is alive and stronger than ever, this is not something that's apparent. It's something that Alter Rebbe has to explain based on the Torah, and then even that's not enough, he needs to add an explanation because it's really difficult for us to get past the feeling and the sense of void and the sense of loss and the sense that it's final and it's over and something changed and changed forever and it'll never be the same and now it's just history. And to look at it differently, to look at it from a Torah point of view, for, hum- for us human beings, flesh and blood, it's very, very difficult. You know, we're, we're not uh, saints and we're not tzaddikim. We're earth-bound and very earthy and down-to-earth. So for us to be able to truly understand this and live by this and truly get it and it should become alive for us, it's very, very difficult, emotionally, psychologically, and even mentally. It's interesting that the Zohar, right off the bat, redefines death. The death, it talks about the death of a tzaddik. The expression that's used is histalkus. Histalkus. You know, Yutas Kislev is coming up. Yutas Kislev is the yard site passing away, Rabbi Dovber, Alter Rebbe's Rebbe. He used to call father. His father. He used to call the Balsham to his grandfather. Alter Rebbe's children used to refer to Rabbi Dovber as Zayda because it was their father's father, so they were the grandchildren. 
And the Abal Shem Tov used to call El Tazeda, the great grandfather. So it's that personal. It's such, a, it's such a personal relationship. So the passing away in the Zohar is referred to as Histalkut. Now, Histalkus, everything is in the, in the Torah and the language and the words that are used. Histalkus doesn't mean just passing away and moving on. Histalkus comes from the word elevation. And elevation. So the death of a tzaddik is really a surge like a surge of electricity <laughs> and then the lights go out <laughs> so yes what we see is darkness the lights went out death Tzaddik died passed away he's no longer with us his body is not moving we're burying the body he's saying Kaddish you're tearing Kriya it's a horrible horrible tragedy it's as difficult as the Breaking of the tablets, the destruction of the temple. It's that, that traumatic. What's really going on, the inside story is that it's really a surge of energy. The tzaddik is now elevated to a whole new level of life, a whole different dimension of life. Everything, his whole life till now was, was nothing in comparison to his whole new level of life. We see this by the Rabbi Shimon Bayechai himself, the author of the Zohar. He said on the day, on his day of his passing, Lag Ba'omer, he said that that day should be a joyful day. It's the most joyful day, one of the most joyful days in the Jewish calendar. The morning comes to an end. We dance, the bonfires, the greatest gathering of Jews anywhere in the world every year, annually in Miran, Lag Ba'omer. The joy is indescribable. That day that he passed away, he had the greatest, most intense revelations of Kabbalah, the secrets of the Torah, which he shared and he revealed. It was like a wedding day. It was like a joyful day. Who dances on the yard site? It's unheard of. <laughs> Even when Moshe passed away, you fast on the day he passed away. You don't dance on the day he passed away. We're dancing on the day he passed away. Who dances? Who dances at a funeral? Who dances at a yard site? But Rabbi redefined the inner part of the Torah redefines what death is. As Alter Rebbe explains, that you know, every day of a person's life, it's like a, like a piece of a puzzle. Every day of our lives, we're putting down another piece of a puzzle. The last day of your life, you put down the last piece. Your mission is complete. Your mission, mission accomplished. Hashem gave each and every one of us a precise amount of days, hours, minutes, seconds that we need to be in this world to accomplish our mission. 120 years. The last day of a person's life, the last hour, the last minute, the last second, you're putting the last piece of the puzzle. And when you put the last piece of the puzzle... Now, for the first time, you see the whole picture. And the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. Every day is a piece. It's like a word that's made of many letters. Every letter is a letter, but only when you put all the letters together, now, for the first time, I have a word which transcends the meaning of the word. The content of the word transcends the individual meaning of each letter. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. Which is why the neshama, the day a person passes away, the neshama is elevated. There's like a surge of energy. So yes, there's a blackout in here. There's a blackout. The body dies. But the neshama, there's a surge of energy. It's not death for the soul. It's a, it's a birth. It's a new renewal. It's, it's a surge of energy. It's like, the, it's like the child in the mother's womb and then the child leaves the womb. It's not death. It's birth. A whole new life makes 120 years in comparison to the nine months in the womb. So this whole world, as the Mishnah says in Ethics of Our Fathers, is just a preamble. It's just a, we're in the foyers, like in the mother's womb. It's just a preparation. 
You know, like the famous story with the twins, twins in the mother's womb. One of them is pious, and the other one is a great philosopher, and they're having a whole discussion. One says he believes in the world to come. <laughs> the other one says, don't be silly, I'm a scientist, what you see is what you get, that's all that, is, that exists. All there is is us, and here, and now, it's not coming from anywhere, we're not going anywhere. There's no past, there's no future, just live for the moment and that's it. And the, the, the believer, the twin, the believer, is born a few minutes before the other one. The womb opens up, it's gone. And the atheist twin is left alone in the dark, in the womb. And his brother, if only he can communicate with his brother, he wants to tell him, everything I told you is so true. There's a whole, whole waiting committee over here. <laughs> Mommy and Daddy are here. The grandparents are here. The, the siblings are waiting out in the room. Are you kidding me? It's, it's life is just beginning. There's going to be a bris. There's going to be an upshot. And there's going to be a mitzvah. There's going to be a wedding. There's going to be a whole life ahead. What? Nine months in the womb. That's nothing. His brother is mourning. His brother is crying. It's all over. I'm alone. <laughs> My brother died, it's dead, it's gone, it's history, it was nice while it happened. It's over, I'm enveloped, I'm engrossed in darkness. Nothing can be further than the truth. So the day that a person passes away, for the neshama, it's a birth. It's a surge of energy, his stalkus. Not absence, void, emptiness. It's a surge of energy which creates a blackout because it's so overwhelming that it just takes it to a different level. But for the neshama, it's a birth. And that repeats itself each and every yard set. That's why the yard set is such a meaningful day, it's a powerful day. Because whatever happened every year, the Hebrew word for year is shana, which comes from the word shonet, repeats itself. Every year we leave Egypt. Every year we receive the Torah. Every year the creation of the world all over again. It's like a spiral staircase. Every year it renews on a higher and a higher level spiral staircase go higher and higher but in the same point so every year the day of the yard site the neshama experiences a surge throughout the year the soul gradually grows from day to day every day it's growing and a few times a day morning, afternoon, evening but on the day of the yard site it re-experiences a surge a boost it's like, it's like a rocket ship that goes that goes to another dimension so whatever dimension the soul is at, on the day of the yard side, the soul is elevated and boosted to a whole different level. And those who have a relationship are elevated with that elevation. So the Avshim Abayachoy redefined what death is. Death is not emptiness, void. Death is what's really going on, the inner dynamics, the real story, the exact opposite. It's about life. It's about vitality and life, a whole new level of life, a whole new dimension of life, a whole new depth of life, a whole new experience of life. Everything before pales in comparison was just a preparation to lead up to this peak moment, to this breakthrough moment. And all those that are connected to the tzaddik, all those that are connected to the Rebbe, participate in that elevation. Participate. Are also elevated with it. So it redefines for us our whole understanding of what death is. It's not an emptiness. It's not a, an end. It's a beginning. You know, this is unique to Judaism. Because, you know, universally, death is death. It's a finality. It's end. It's over. Finished. But for Jews, as the rabbis say, tzaddikim, even when they're dead, they're alive. Which explains when Avram bought the cave of Machpelah, the most... uh, publicized, first recorded real estate transaction in history. He paid top dollar. Gave him a bill. 
the question you can ask, was it a fraudulent deal? He never told them who's in the cave. He bought the cave because other Machabe were there. So he paid 400 silver coins, yes, but if he knew other Machabe are there, how, how much is it worth? <laughs> it's worth 4,000 or 40,000 or 400,000 or 4 million? I mean, if he got away, he got away with murder. <laughs> but he bought, he bought it. Yeah, I'm buying a cave to bury, to bury Sarah. Family plot. But this is the most prime real estate, the most valuable piece of real estate in the world. Adam Chava buried it. He didn't mention that. So what, what's going on here? The answer is, of course it wasn't a fraud. Because for the people of Chais, the people of Hebron, they couldn't care less. You have some old bones from a few thousand years ago. Even if he would have told them other Machava there, what do they care? You're talking about thousands of years ago, the bones, so who cares? They're dead. It's finished, it's over. But for a Jew, our dead are alive. We say, David, Melech, Yisrael, Chai Vakayim. David is alive. We feel closer to our patriarchs and our matriarchs. We feel more connected to them than some of our neighbors that are living next to the last 30 years. To us, every tzaddik that ever lived is still alive and continues. And that life only grows and becomes more alive and intensifies and deepens. It's like the, uh, the secret of compounding. Einstein called compounding the eighth wonder of the world. And it was into finance. I appreciate compounding. If you invest $1,000 to your child when he's, a one, when he's born and just l- allow it to sit there and to compound and reinvest and compound, by the time they retire, they'll be millionaires. That's the power of compounding. The great secret of wealth, of time, <laughs> and just let it grow exponentially, reinvest, and just grow, and just, and then it's like magic, it just explodes. So, to us, when we look at life, every life, the life of a tzaddik, and all the good deeds that were done, it's like planting a seed. And it's been growing exponentially ever since. It's compounding. So for us, it's not, oh, Yiddishkeit is dead. Look at all the holy rabbis. They're all gone. Look at all the great saints. They're all gone. We're a bunch of mediocrities today, a bunch of midgets. All the holy rabbis, the great leaders, all dead. It was nice history. It was nice having them while they were here. But it's over. Look around us. Look at who's alive today. Achim <laughs> Vey. It was nice. We had, we, had a, we had a nice history. We had illustrious history. We had nice moments. Greatness, moments of greatness. Truly great people. Today you can't find a single great person alive. Everyone is a mediocrity. Times ten. Speaking for myself, of course. But, so, so it's over. It's finished. Nothing could be further than the truth. The wrong way to look at it. Their life, they're still alive. The seeds that they planted, the mitzvah that, that they've done, the lives that they lived, it's only intensifying. It's growing deeper. and They're more alive than ever. It's growing in leaps and bounds. Yiddishkeit today is so vibrant and so deep and so profound and so powerful. Their souls are so profound. Every day they've been growing and advancing in in holiness today. Godliness, Torah, Yiddishkeit is so powerful today. It's 3,800 years of accumulation. It's been growing, compounding with each passing day, exploding exponentially. 
So to Avram and Sarah, to Avram, Adam and Chav are alive, created by God Himself. They're not bones of thousands of years buried in the ground. They're alive. And their life and their vitality is only growing with each passing day. And they're relevant and they're current. It's more powerful than ever. It's a whole different perspective. We're so different than the rest of the world. We even look at the dead completely different than the rest of the world. The rest of the world takes it at face value. Death is death. It's over, finished, goodbye. Moments of nostalgia, nice nostalgia, you know, memories. It's all it is. True for the rest of the world, not for us. Not nostalgia. It's not memories. It's alive today, here and now, to us, the living in the world, in our realities, in our day-to-day lives. This is what's unique about the Jewish people. And that explains why our enemies, what's the first thing they attack? Cemeteries. Our Jewish cemeteries. Because they know. They know, they sense that to us they're not cemeteries. They're not Beit HaKvarot. They're not houses of burial where we bury the dead and goodbye and it's over. We call the cemetery Beit HaChayim. It's a house of life. To us, they are alive. Our ancestors are alive. They're more alive than ever. They're more vibrant than ever. They're more powerful than ever. Everything they live for, everything they stood for, all their sacrifices, their heroism, their courage, their good deeds, their Torah, their, their love of Hashem, their fear of Hashem, their faith in Hashem is so powerful, so powerful. This is what keeps us alive. It's our enemies understand Consciously or subconsciously, they understand the first thing to do, they have to desecrate the Jewish cemetery. Because they sense that for us it's not a cemetery. <laughs> this is our life, this is our foundation, this is our core, our essence. So we're different. Everything about us is different. We live in a different universe. We may live in the same world, but we're living in a different universe. We, we, we live in a different reality. He says it all depends on us. It depends. And our relationship that we have with the Rebbe. Because for us, you know, the reason we have a relationship with the Rebbe, which is something unique, what the Hasidic movement introduced, or the Baal Shem Tov introduced, that a Rebbe is more than just a rabbi, more than just a teacher that you respect and you admire and you're in awe of. You can even be a mentor, but a Rebbe is much more than that. There's a relationship with a Rebbe, a love relationship with a Rebbe. Why is that? A teacher you can admire, you can respect, but you don't have a relationship with him, a personal relationship with him. What's this whole idea that the Chassid has a personal relationship with his Rebbe? Why is that so key to a Jew's life? That I have a personal love relationship with my Rebbe. We're talking about a real Rebbe, the Rebbe. And the reason is because it all goes back what kind of relationship you have with God. <laughs> if Hashem is just the great God that's commanding me, if Hashem is my teacher... And Hashem is, is commanding me and giving me rules and laws. And I work for Hashem. And I have my responsibilities and I have my duties, my 613 obligations and duties. If that is what my Yiddish guide is all about, then, then you're right. It's enough to have a rabbi, a teacher, a guide, a mentor, and that's fine. You don't need anything more. But we have a relationship with Hashem. We're married to God. We have a love relationship with God. Why are we doing all the mitzvot? It's not just commandments, obligations, duties. We're not just workers. God is not just our employer and we're His employees. 
it's a marriage, a relationship. That's why I'm doing the mitzvah, because I'm married to God. It's a relationship. God is the husband, we're his wife. Mount Sinai wasn't just a convention of rule and, rules and laws. Mount Sinai was the chuppah, the marriage between the Jewish people, the kiddush and the marriage between the Jewish people and Hashem. All the customs of the chuppah we learn from Mount Sinai. It's a marriage, a relationship. And that's why I do the mitzvah. So if a Yiddishkeit is a marriage, a relationship, that's why I have a relationship with a Rebbe. It's alive. My Yiddishkeit is alive. It's a love relationship. It's a connection. Because the Rebbe teaches me and embodies for me that Yiddishkeit is a marriage and a love relationship between the Jew and Hashem. Not just do's and don'ts and rules and laws. It's much deeper than that. It's alive. Yiddishkeit is alive. It's not just technical, mechanical, legalese. It's a relationship. It's a connection. I do a mitzvah because I'm connecting with Hashem. I don't want to sin because I don't want to, God forbid, sever my connection with Hashem. Not because lightning is going to strike or God is going to strike me or hit me or slap me in the face. It's because there's a marriage relationship. And that's expressed in the relationship between a chassid and a rebbe. The rebbe embodies that that Yiddishkeit is alive. Because the Rebbe has that relationship with Hashem. He loves Hashem. He's in awe of Hashem. His faith is so palpable. So we have the love relationship with the Rebbe. And by having this love relationship with, our, with the Rebbe, this awakens within us our love relationship with Hashem. That marriage to Hashem, that intimacy with Hashem, that personal connection with Hashem. So if you have that sort of relationship with your Rebbe, a real relationship, it's not just the Rebbe is a nice teacher and he's a brilliant mind and interesting information and he's a, even a good mentor, a good coach. <laughs> it's more than that. It's a marriage, it's a relationship. Then, this connection doesn't end with the Rebbe's passing. Rebbe's soul is alive. His relationship with Hashem is now even intensified tenfold, a thousandfold. His relationship with Hashem didn't go anywhere. His relationship with Hashem was just amplified a thousandfold. The Rebbe embodies that there's a live relationship between us and Hashem. Now that the Rebbe is no longer limited to the body, this relationship is only enhanced and amplified. So if I have that relationship with the Rebbe, that love relationship with the Rebbe, then what changed? The Rebbe continues to inspire me. The Rebbe continues to enhance my relationship with Hashem. Gives me that vitality and that life, that energy, that excitement about being Jewish and that excitement about serving Hashem and connecting with Hashem and being intimate with Hashem. So what changed? That didn't change. On the contrary. The Rebbe's relationship with Hashem is now so much more palpable, so much deeper, so much more profound, so much more alive, so vibrant. So if I have that love relationship with the Rebbe, I'm affected by it. I, I get some of that vibrancy and some of that energy and some of that life. So if anything, I'm more alive today. My relationship with Hashem now becomes more alive. Because the Rebbe is more alive. Yiddishkeit is now stronger and more powerful than ever, more intense than ever, deeper than ever. It's going from strength to strength. We're not going backwards. Yes, death appears to be the void, the blackout. We're going backwards. It's a setback. It's a tragedy. It's a... a, breakdown, it's a horrible, terrible terrible thing which leaves a void in the heart like a parent dies, God forbid but, but that's one point but in the deeper point of view we have to realize that it's only what the Rebbe embodied holiness, godliness this relationship with Hashem this is only getting stronger and stronger and more powerful than ever we're not bankrupt, God. Death is not bankruptcy. Not for a Jew. On the contrary. We're more powerful than ever. We're stronger than ever. 
And that's why our enemies can't figure us out. Because, you know, we should have been long gone and dead thousands of years ago. We've outlived all our enemies. They're footnotes in history. They die, they die. It's over. Everything dies. Civilizations come to an end. People come to an end. Stars die. There's one exception to this rule. (laughs) The Jewish people. (laughs) They go on and on and on. And with every seeming setback or death, it's on the contrary. It's like it unleashes a whole new energy. And we see that. When they dedicated the tabernacle, what happened the day that they dedicated the tabernacle? The very first time that God fulfilled His dream and our life's mission to make a dwelling place for God in this world. So when God came down, Shechina came down to this world the Jewish people built for him a tabernacle. The first time, which was the seed that contained all future temples, first temple, second temple, including the future and final third temple. It all started on that one day, that single day, which we mark until today, Rosh Chodesh Nisan. What happened on that day? Aaron's sons, Nadav and Aviyu, passed away. And they were holier. Moshe tells Aaron, he consoles them, they were holier than you and I. They didn't, they didn't die because they sinned. The Torah mentions it four times. Every time the Torah says they died because they came close to God. They came too close to God. They were so holy. They were so special. They were so unique. And they had passed away on that day. It's not no coincidence. Because they have such a breakthrough. Such a tremendous breakthrough. Where heaven, heaven meets earth. Heaven comes down to earth. Hashem Shechina should dwell, a dwelling place for Hashem. Hashem should feel at home in this world, in the desert, no less. It was only by the death of the two sons of Aaron, their sacrifice, their death, this is what paved the way. Before every breakthrough, there's a breakdown, but this is what paved the way. There was a surge of energy. Their death actually cleared the way and gave a push to the next level. Took the Jewish people and enabled the very first day, the very first the seed of all future temples, which is the whole purpose of creation. To bring Hashem down to this world. So the tzaddik, his talkut, is elevated, transcends to a, a whole different dimension, he passes away. But what happens as a result? There's a surge of divine revelation in this world. Suddenly the Shekhinah comes down into this world. Not just in heaven, in this world. So th- this is what happens. Every time there's a... What the world would say, it's death, it's over, it's gone, it's finished. Holiness had a nice life. It was good while it lasted. But now the tzaddik is gone, the holy Jewish leader is gone. We're bereft. We're, mourn- we're, um, we're left alone. We are orphaned. We feel hopeless, abandoned, alone, lost. Alter Rebbe writes this letter, Chav Zayin, which in the Hebrew is Zach. Zach means purification. To look at it in a very purified way, in a pure way. Pure. To look at it correctly. Nothing could be further than the truth. In Judaism, there's no bankruptcy. In Judaism, there's no... What? Chapter 11. Chapter 11. <laughs> in Judaism, there's no chapter 11. There's no flat tires. We're not going backwards. We're going forwards. It appears to be a setback, a terrible setback. The general, the leader of the army died in the middle of battle. I mean, you, I mean it's a, what a tragedy. And, and imagine how everyone feels. Your leader... Your spiritual father died. <laughs> it's, I mean, the feelings, the emotions, it's so crushing. It could be so overwhelming. And demoralizing. So that's how Rebbe wrote this letter, and then he wrote an explanation. That this is not the Jewish response. There's no room for demoralization. There's no room. Don't feel crushed and don't feel hopeless. God forbid. Nothing could be further than the truth. On the contrary. There's a new surge of life. There's a new surge of energy. There's a new 
it's deeper than ever, it's more powerful than ever, it's more intense than ever. You had a relationship before. You had a real relationship with your Rebbe, with a love between you and the Rebbe, which awakened the love between you and Hashem. That's only amplified a thousandfold, even stronger than ever, not less. Rebbe lives inside of us, and everything he embodied and everything he stood for, and Yiddishkeit and godliness and holiness and purity, stronger than, and truth is stronger than ever, more powerful than ever. You know, girdle up and, and, and it should renew you with a renewed vigor and a renewed sense of purpose and mission and go forward confidently with strength and with energy and with joy. So obviously you can understand why you need a letter and an explanation. This is so counterintuitive and this is so opposite of the way it appears to be. I mean, it's so easy just to take things at face value. But who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the New York Times or are you going to believe the Rebbe? <laughs> What's really going on? Are you going to take things at face value? Or are you going to understand what's really going on. And now the Rebbe said, he bases it on what he heard from his Rebbe's and what he also understood. So obviously this is something that the Rebbe wrote for the Jews in Israel, the community where the Rebbe passed away, his Rebbe, and also for the community and the Hasidim outside the land of Israel and for himself. This is how he processed and how he dealt with this and how he was able to go forward. Because it could, it could be demoralizing. It could be completely... It could, free, it could paralyze you. And it could affect your actions. People wanted to stop supporting and it's over, it's dead, it's gone, finished. Why, why bother? Why support a dead organization or a dead... It's over, it's finished. Rebbe says, God forbid, this is more alive than ever, and, and therefore it has to translate into action. You have to support it as much as before, not less, and even more than before. We see that with the Ohel today. Yes. That energy. Yes. The Rebbe spoke about this letter so many times. This was like so fundamental. This is how the Rebbe dealt with Yudshvat and with the passing of the previous Rebbe. So he's discussed this many, many times and really chewed it over and digested it and conveyed it to us and really helped us understand what Al Rebbe is really saying, what Al Rebbe is really writing. He lived by this letter. This prepared us. When the Rebbe passed away, how we deal with that situation today. This letter that we have to realize and we see it. Chabad is more alive than ever. <laughs> the Rebbe Shluchim, right? The Rebbe's emissaries quadrupled. South Dakota. Now. South Dakota, 50 states. Quadrupled in size since, since when the Rebbe passed away. You see, it's more alive than ever. The penetration, the depth, the successes, the intensification. It's more alive than ever. Now you even have a now you even have Tanyol over the world. Hasidus is more alive than ever in godliness and holiness and truth. And our appreciation, our understanding, our being open to it is more alive than ever. So this whole sense of deterioration and death and hopelessness, and we're going backwards, and we got a flat tire, and you know, it was a nice dream, but the dream is dead. God forbid. You know those foolish fools who run around the world saying the dream of a greater Israel is dead. God forbid. It's more alive than ever. Torah is more alive than ever. Truth is more alive than ever. Godliness and truth is more alive than ever. We're going from strength to strength. From victory to victory. We're not going backwards. We're going forward. But it's up to us. Bottom line is, it all boils down to it's up to us, the living. Because we are the only Jews that are alive today. If we don't get this, if we feel that way, if we feel that sense of hopelessness and it's death and it's over and it's not a surge, but it's a blackout, and you take things at face value, then it is death. 
Because we, we don't do this. No one, there's no one around to do this. We're it. Don't look elsewhere. Just look in the mirror. We're it. This is, we have to do this. So it's all up to us. That's why our attitude is so critical. How do we respond? How do we understand it? How do we digest it? How do we internalize it? What do we... That's why it's so critical for us to understand what's going on. That's why Dr. Rebbe wrote this letter. It's such a profound letter. It's such a revolutionary, earth-shattering letter. But it completely changes our whole point of view. It's so fundamental and so, you know, before the Alter Rebbe pointed it out and brought it all together, I mean, you know, this was... People responded naturally to death. It was death. It's over. It's finished. But to really understand that this is the opposite. The surge of life. This... Dr. Rebbe had to write this letter and he had to write an explanation. Because we are critical. We are critical players in all of this. When is the Rebbe alive if we're alive? If we feel dead inside, then the Rebbe is not alive. But if we're alive, we're plugged in, and we're on fire, and the love is stronger than ever, and the relationship is stronger than ever, and the connection is stronger than ever, then... We're going forward. Together. All of us are going forward. There's no past. Past, present, future. All together. And we are just the tip of the spear. We are the, the, the uh, soles of the soles of the feet that carry the whole body. That's why we are going to be the ones who are going to merit to see Mashiach. It's almost like a cosmic joke. We are going to be the ones to see Mashiach. Rabbi Akiva did not merit. The Baal Shem Tov did not merit. The Alter Rebbe did not merit. We? I mean, are you kidding? We are the souls of the souls, of the feet, in the Jewish organism, which is called the angel of death of the body. It's completely, it completely has no sensitivity. There's hardly any nerves there. Souls of the feet. Because we're completely insensitive. We don't feel, we don't understand. We're, we're like... We're spiritual midgets, midgets of midgets. And yet we are the tip of the tip of the iceberg. Why is that? Because the soles of the feet have one advantage. The soles of the feet carry the whole organism. So we are the ones who are going to lead the brain and the heart. Moshe Rabbeinu is still stuck in the desert for the last 3,300 years. And we are going to lead and Alter Rebbe and all the Rebbe's we are our generation us all of us sitting in this room today all 53,000 Jews living in the Upper East Side today 14 million Jews alive today all of us we are going to be leading the Jewish people into the promised land the rebuilding of the third temple the ingathering of the exiles so it's all up to us for all of this to come together. If we don't understand how Yiddishkeit is compounding and Yiddishkeit is growing and Yiddishkeit's holiness is more powerful than ever and we just are taken in by the darkness and by the void and the negativity and we take it at face value and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if you understand it correctly and you approach it correctly we're marching to victory. nothing that can we're unstoppable it's a wave and you better get out of the way <laughs> because whether you like it or not the current is going you can flow with it to make it a little quicker you can't stop this this is a this is going in one direction all roads are leading to Jerusalem in the battle in Athens and Jerusalem Jerusalem is winning Jerusalem is going to win 100% without compromise the Torah and its purity, the Jewish people and its purity, our relationship with Hashem and all of its purity, stronger than ever, perfect, wholesome, in this shattered, fragmented world that we live in. Don't be taken in for a moment, don't be, that's what Rebbe is dealing with. The community was shattered, the community was broken, the community was, it was all over. Our Rebbe, our heart, our soul, our Father is gone, dead. It's finished. The leader in battle died in battle. 
what are we going to do? We're left here alone. Us against, we're lost. That's the natural response. Completely lost. We're losing. We lost. Our leader, our holy saint died. Fell in battle. We understand it's a spiritual battle. He fell in battle. He fought the good fight. Sacrificed his life. And fell. But where does that leave us? It means we're losing. We're lost. Our leader fell. It's all over. That was, that was the feeling of the Hasidim. They felt desperate. They felt uh, hopeless. They felt lost. A ship without a rudder. And you can imagine how Hasidim felt when the Rebbe passed away and Gimel Tamil. Imagine how the Rebbe felt when the previous Rebbe passed away and Yud Shvat. I mean, it, it, it's, there are no words to describe how the chassid feels. You, you lost your father. God forbid. It's, it, it's the, and this is your spiritual father. This is your whole life. So the Alter Rebbe has to write such, such a powerful letter with an explanation. That's not the right, that's not the right answer. You're not lost. You're not unmoored. Get out of drift. We're marching on to victory, stronger than ever. Reinforced, rejuvenated, reinvigorated, refocused, and recentered. But even after all the explanations, <laughs> emotionally, it's a very, very difficult to come to terms with. The Torah says you do a mourn and you say Kaddish and, and uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a horrible thing. Death, of a, death is a horrible thing. Death of a parent is the most horrible thing. Death of your spiritual parent, it's indescribably, it's a tragedy. It's like the destruction of the temple. The Talmud compares it to the destruction of the temple, like the shattering of the tablets. So it's not, we're not negating that. Because the bottom line is, I can't see the Rebbe. All these explanations are all good and true, but the bottom line is, I love the Rebbe and I can't see him physically. Just like when you mourn for someone you love. You know they're in a good place. They're no longer suffering. They're in Gan Eden. They're in a wonderful, wonderful place. You're happy for them. They're in, a, they're in a great place. What are they missing out here? Some Chinese food. I mean, what, what, they're in a wonderful, wonderful place. But because you love them and you're happy for them, you, you cry because you miss them. Because you love them, I want to see them. I want to say hello to them. I want to be able to speak to them. I want to hug them and uh, make contact. I can't do that anymore. So, so it's, like, it's like bittersweet. That's what the Torah says. You're not allowed to, you have to mourn. A person who doesn't mourn is cruel. The philosophers who call themselves the enlightened ones because they prided themselves that they know how to deal with death. They're not, they're not like the masses. They don't cry on death. It's the way of the world. They're so enlightened. They're so clever. They're so smart and sophisticated. They figured it out that you can't have life without death. So I'm going to cry about death the way of the world. I'm so enlightened, I'm so open-minded, and I'm so intelligent that I, unlike the masses, I don't mourn for death. We call that darkened, not enlightened. Torah says anyone who doesn't cry for a loved one is not enlightened. He's a monster. He's cruel. Cruel. Inhumane. Torah says you cry and you mourn. The masses are smarter and have more wisdom and their pinkies and all these philosophers and so-called pseudo-intellectuals and so-called wise men. Because they know that death is a tragedy. And they're right, death is a tragedy. On the other hand, the Torah says, you're not allowed to mourn excessively. How could you say in the same breath, mourn, and if you don't mourn, you're a monster? And at the same time, but don't mourn excessively. <laughs> Are you playing, you're playing with me? You're toying with me? What am I, a machine? If I'm mourning, I'm mourning. You want to bury yourself. Mourn, but don't mourn excessively. The answer is no. 
The Rebbe explained, they both come for the same reason. What do I mourn? Because I love the person. So because I love the person, I'm happy for the person. Because I know they're in a wonderful place now. They're in the best place you could be. They're in Ganeden. They're no more pain and no worries. And they're, 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 they're good. They're okay. They're fine. They're happy. It's indescribable, the pleasures of the Garden of Eden. We can't even begin to describe it, the afterlife. The light and the experiences that they have. It's, it's so indescribable. All the pleasures of the world. If you live for a thousand years and be able to indulge in every pleasure of the world, it doesn't even come to one minute, to one second, one experience in the Garden of Eden that the soul has in a disembodied state. So for, I'm happy for them. But for that same reason, I'm mourning. Because I miss them. I love them. I want to say hello. I want to see the smile. I want to speak to them. I want to enjoy their company. Like, like family gets together. They just like being together. Just because you love the people you love. You just want to be with them. You just enjoy being with them. And you miss them if you're not with them. So for that reason, you mourn for that very same reason, you don't mourn excessively because I love them and I know that they're in a good place. Death is a tragedy, you know, and, uh, and we mourn accordingly. But we have to understand that, God forbid, there's no sense of, demoraliz- of feeling demoralized on the contrary. It should focus us like a laser and concentrate us and rejuvenate us and intensify, re-intensify our life. The answer, the Jewish answer to death has never been to bury your head in the sand. I mean, after the Holocaust, the whole generation could have just buried their head in the sand. Everyone would understand. They could have retired from life, and everyone would understand what they've seen, what they experienced. You know, some of them, their wives and children were shot in front of them. I mean, I, I mean if they just wanted to just bend their head down and stop living for the rest of their life, <laughs> we would all understand. Instead, they rebuilt Jewish life. The whole resurgence of Jewish life was from them. They came and they remarried and they rebuilt. And they, The Jewish response to death is to live even more intensely, to live even deeper and more powerfully. And new purpose, a renewed sense of purpose, a renewed, a renewed sense of mission, a deeper connection, a deeper quality of life, a more intense life. Yes, it's sad. It's with, tinged with sadness. But it only... Prompts us to it only re-energizes us, and that's why for Jews every setback has only laid the groundwork for the next breakthrough. After the destruction of the temple, we had the explosion of Torah, the oral Torah, Babylonian Talmud. It's called Babylonian Talmud. Babylon is exile. We thrive. We flourish. After the Crusades, we had the Arizal, the explosion of Kabbalah, the holy city of Tzvaz, like we've never seen before. After Chalmanitsky and Shabtai Tzvi, two setbacks, a double setback, a double whammy, a material setback and a spiritual setback. We had the Balshemta, the greatest explosion of light that the world has ever seen. Hasidus. And today, after the Holocaust, we have Yiddishkeit flourishing. 5,000 Chabad houses all over the world. Yiddishkeit flourishing. Now in all 50 states, Yiddishkeit in South Dakota as well. Yiddishkeit flourishing in every corner of the world. Thriving and flourishing and growing and more vibrant than ever, more alive than ever, deeper than ever, penetrating and reaching new heights and penetrating even deeper into, into human consciousness. So for us, this is our response to death. It's a resurgence of life. It's a, it's a surge of energy. Deeper, sober, more intense, more mature, more powerful than ever, more concentrated and focused than ever. So after 3,800 years, Yiddishkeit has never been more powerful. And now we're ready to conquer the world. Now we're ready to... We're the tip of the spear is going to... Get the job done. We're going to march, not only ourselves, the whole Jewish people, the whole Klal Yisrael, the whole Jewish organism, including our parents and ancestors, and the tzaddikim, it says, are going to be there right from day one because it's their merit. They're more alive than ever. They're more powerful than ever. Where do you think we're getting our strength from? 
They're not cemeteries. They're Beisachayim. They're alive. They're more alive than ever, more vibrant than ever. Therefore, they will be the first ones there with us. Moshe and Aaron, the Talmud says, will be there right the first moment. They're going to be there literally, physically, with us. Answering questions about the Beisachayim, how we do the service. This is all going to happen literally and physically. So we're hopeful. We're energized. We're good to go. <laughs> That's what Alter Rebbe is trying to rally the Hasidim and to get them to reorient and to look at this properly and has to translate into action. That your actions, it should translate that your actions are not less than, less than before in the country, even more than before, stronger than ever, more powerful than ever. This is a quite uh, revolutionary letter. Next week we'll learn the letter. Start learning the letter. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.